My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. Oh, how true those words are. Hear, please, these shocking words from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. You shall consecrate every 50th year as a year of jubilee, in which all property and land shall be returned to its initial owner. All servants and prisoners are to be set free, and all debts are be forgiven. For I am the Lord your God. The jubilee year in which all debts are forgiven, all servants and prisoners set free, all social and legal arrangements completely reset. Can you even imagine such a reality? I scarcely can. But then again, my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord nor are my thoughts your thoughts. Here in today's gospel lesson, which comes to us from Luke chapter 6, the news about Jesus has already spread far and wide. The crowds have been flocking to him. He has amassed an enormous amount of power. And as we pick up the story, he's preaching yet again. And having begun his sermon with an exaltation of the poor and the hungry and the marginalized and the maligned, he now begins preaching an even more counterintuitive message than that. And so I say to you, he says, love your enemies. And do good to those with whom you struggle. Give to those whom you know you will receive nothing in return. Judge not. Condemn not. Can you even imagine such a reality? I scarcely can. But then again, my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. Do you remember how this whole thing got started? By which I mean this whole crazy, beautiful faith tradition of which we are a part, which brings us together today. you remember how this all got started According to the scriptures, it all got started when a man named Abraham, after many years of following the call of God, prepared himself to make a covenant with God to secure his future hope. And so in accordance with standard practice, this Abraham cut several animals in half and made two rows of them, rows through which he and the symbolic presence of the Lord would walk and meet halfway, thereby formalizing and legitimizing the covenant. Such was the way two parties swore on oath at that time. We've come a long way. 
And if you'll recall, ready though Abraham was to enter into this covenant, ready though he was to try to uphold his end of the deal, ready though he was before he could enter into the covenant, a deep sleep suddenly came upon him. And as he slept, there through those animals walked the fire of the Lord from one side all the way to the other. According to the ancient story, this is how all of this got started, dear family. According to the ancient story, this is why we are here today. It's because in the end, Abraham did receive the promise. But not because he did something to receive it or somehow prove himself worthy of it, but rather because God gave it to him anyway. It was all pure gift, pure grace. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. Okay, back to Luke chapter 6. Perhaps the parts of the Bible that we pay the least attention to as people of faith are passages like this one. That is, the passages that capture Jesus' sermons. I'm thinking specifically here of sermons such as the one in Luke chapter 4, the one in Mark chapter 4, or this one here in Luke chapter 6, or Jesus' farewell sermon in John chapter 14. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't read them. We absolutely read them. We even every now and again take a phrase or two from them. What I'm saying is that we struggle to pay attention to them. Which is to say to really meditate upon them. To absorb them and appropriate them. To let them get inside of us and begin to shape us and reorient us and transform us. We struggle with this. And the reason why we struggle with this is very simple. For His ways are not our ways. And His thoughts, oh boy, they are not our thoughts. Give to the poor and feed the hungry daily. Pray for those who strive actively against us and love those whom we have ample reason to dislike. Serve those who can do absolutely nothing to help us get ahead. Give to others without expecting any repayment. Show mercy when mercy is clearly unwarranted. Withhold judgment even when the obvious judgment is to condemn. Other lessons in the Bible and other things we see happening throughout the scriptures are much more palatable to us than words like these. 
these words, these sermons, well, these have a way of making us just a bit uncomfortable, don't they? Do y'all know what Jesus means in our gospel lesson today when he speaks of a measure? The measure you give, he concludes this passage, is the measure by which you will receive. Do y'all know what a measure is in this context? It refers to the purchase of grain in the marketplace. The measure was how much grain was actually placed into a sack. And merchants notoriously padded the amount of grain in a sack so that the sack looked full upon a sale, but was not really full. Fluffed up. To which Jesus here says, a good measure, a measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, that, he says, is the measure we ought to give to others. And not of grain, but of all the things of which he's just spoken. Love for our enemies, mercy for the undeserving, debt forgiveness for the insolvent, forgiveness of wrong for the unforgivable, material blessing for those who can't ever repay. That's the measure, Jesus says. An eye for an eye is an easy measure for us to use. That comes naturally. Quid pro quo is an easy measure for us to use. That comes naturally. Love those who love us is an easy enough measure for us to use, even though this brings challenge enough. But the Jesus measure, well, now this is an altogether different thing, isn't it? And so we tend to read right past these parts of the Scripture, either spiritualizing Jesus' words by assuming that he meant something more figurative than what he actually said, or by sublimating his words to other parts of the Scripture that we find more congenial with our own preferred measures. Which is why it's no surprise that we often see Moses' words from Mount Sinai posted in public places, but seldom, if ever, see Jesus' words from his own sermon on the mount. It's because his ways are not our ways. Because his thoughts are most decidedly not our thoughts. Will we ever fully realize that we are not only in, but are fully like Father Abraham? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know the degree to which we will ever fully appreciate the extent to which his story is our story. 
that who we are and that what we have are all pure gift, not due to our own talent and rectitude and worthiness. That we are not loved and accepted because of what we did to earn it, to secure it, to live up to it. But that we're loved and we're accepted simply because God loves us and shows mercy to us because that is God's measure. Will we ever fully realize this? I don't know. We can hope. Dear family, stories like these, like Abraham receiving the promise despite his inability to ever achieve it on his own, like Leviticus prescribing a year of jubilee in which all in bondage are set free and all debts are forgiven, Like Jesus using his power and reputation to serve the poor and the marginalized and those deemed unworthy. Like Jesus preaching about loving our enemies. Like Jesus preaching about withholding judgment and withholding condemnation. Dear family, stories like these, if we truly want to become more Christ-like, stories like these have to get inside of us. We have to pay attention to them. We can't just hear them. We have to imbibe them. We have to let them get inside of us and slowly begin to reorient us and reconfigure us and transform us. For these ways are not our ways. These thoughts are not our thoughts. But I say again today, as you so often hear me say, if this man Jesus really was God incarnate, God in human form, then it follows that what we see Jesus saying and doing, teaching and embodying, is not then just one suggested way of living and being human among countless others, but is instead the way to be most fully and properly human. For if this man Jesus really was God in human form, then it necessarily follows that this is how God would have humankind to be. Let this mind be in you, says the Apostle Paul. The mind of Christ be in you elsewhere elaborating. And be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Let his thoughts become your thoughts, Paul is saying. Let his ways become your ways. Get his life, his ways inside of you. Imbibe it. Take it in. Let it transform you.
We have right here, dear family, the ways and the words of God become human, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 2,000-year-old sermons from a preacher, from the only preacher who truly speaks as one with authority. Will we pay attention? Will we have ears to hear? These are the human words in these sermons of the God who walked as fire through those animals and who made an everlasting covenant with a man utterly unable to ever live up to his end of the bargain. This is the measure he gives. These are his ways. These are his thoughts. Will the same mind be in us then? We, his disciples whom he loves, regardless. Amen. And I'll be now front now for this hymn of response to receive any who might this day want to follow.